Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that changed everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately push them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. We're so glad that you joined us. My name is Jeff Ford, and uh, you could be listening to any podcast right now. I totally get that. But today you chose this one, and I am super appreciative. And in return for your time, I'd like to reward you with some great information, some inspiration from someone who is certainly making a mark on the world of digital marketing with his company, Vivid Front. Today, we welcome to the show Vivid Front CEO, Andrew Spot. Andrew, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you very much. Good afternoon. Oh, uh, I am so glad to have you. Uh, personally, I got to start off with a little bit of a personal connection. I'm not going to lie. I did a little bit of LinkedIn stalking on your profile. I saw that you went to Ohio State. So you're a Buckeye. Go Bucks! And it was uh, a good season we had so far. But That's true. A bitter, a bitter end. Yeah, yeah. I'm also a Buckeye. Not, not an alumni. My college journey started at OSU many Many years ago, we won't go into any details as to how many years ago that was, but uh, it ended at another college, but uh, I'm a Buckeye at heart through and through. So that's really exciting to to see that about you. And you guys, uh, Vivid Front, uh, you guys are based here in Ohio. Is that correct? Correct. So we are headquartered in downtown Cleveland. Uh, we used to have an office in Columbus, um, but now we're all, all Cleveland and we have employees all over the country at this point. Um, the silver lining of the pandemic has been remote work is, is sure now and, and we can use it that's fantastic yeah i'm i'm it's i mean even more of a coincidence i'm also based personally out of cleveland as well it's and such a great city it is really uh just exploding for businesses right now i feel like uh people don't normally think of like ohio as the place to start a business but for you this 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 is what happened right yeah our story started in columbus um we started the company 12 years ago and uh what we found was that at a certain point, if you want to be mid-market and up, there are more companies in Northeast Ohio, uh, mm-hmm. in Central Ohio. And if you look at the GDP of Northeast Ohio, it ranks pretty well on the list of countries amongst the world. Uh, so the, the sort of explanation for why there's a center of gravity here with commerce uh, became clear to me many years later, but um, we just kept finding so many clients were, were based in Cleveland. And so uh, I grew up in Cleveland. It was a good progression. Um, and I was in New York for five years and moved back to Cleveland. So uh, it, it's all sort of come full circle. And so how did how did that start for you then? So Vivid Front has been, how many years have you guys been operating up here? Uh, this is the last uh, two months of our 12th year. Uh, wow. So yeah, we uh, we entered 13 years, which is uh, feels like a lifetime for me. I've like <laughs> many, many lifetimes in this in this time period. Um, and become a different company today than, than we were when we started. But uh, how it all came to be, are you curious, that, that sort of background? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like where, where did that start? What was the, the impetus for, for starting your own, your own company? Um, 
so I've always been an entrepreneur. I've never had a, a normal job other than like part-time in high school. And uh, when I came to Ohio State, actually uh, started an online food ordering business, um, which was at the time that I went, I think a few years after you went, but um, very, very uh, sort of groundbreaking. Mm. Uh, at the time, um, there wasn't like a square system or any sort of electronic registers at restaurants. So we sent faxes to the restaurants and, we wow. and then called them after the fax went through to say, did, did you receive this? And can you deliver it? Um, so that business grew and grew throughout my years at Ohio State. And we sold it um, the same year we were graduating. And, uh, and that was uh, not a large liquidity moment, but still uh, a good outcome. And after that, I got deeper into e-commerce, but not food ordering, uh, instead lighting and home furnishing products. Um, mm. That business was, was successful until um, the real estate sort of uh, mortgage crisis of 2008, 2009. Um, that really brought us to our knees. And I left the business um, and my partner continued in it. And what I decided to do was send out an email to a couple hundred contacts about uh, what I'm up to and if I could help and left voicemails and sort of just pounded some pavement, pavement with my Rolodex and more people needed stuff and help and consulting and websites and everything uh, than I expected. And I had to hire contractors and then decided to incorporate the business that is Vividfront today. Um, and that was about 12 years ago. Wow, that's great. And so let, let me ask you this. So going back to that, the beginning, the 12 years when, when you were contacting those businesses or those friends, what, what do you think it was that they were missing that you, you were able to come in as vivid front and, and provide for them? You know, when we started in 2009, um, e-commerce and web behavior was just sort of taking hold. Um, I would say the early 2000s, you know, the 1990s sort of dot-com boom and bust, Hmm. um, that was largely the fringe of society that was partaking in both the investing and use of the internet, um, with the exception of computer labs in classrooms, mm. many people were still doing their job without a computer. Um, and even in like financial accounting or CPAs, I mean, they were still preparing returns, you know, in the late nineties without software. So um, we, I think in 2009, when we started Vividfront, we represented this sort of movement of everybody needs a website, everybody's online, people mm-hmm. are Googling for you. Um, and so I think it was good timing to be an expert in e-commerce and websites and online marketing. So that's a lot of what we did early on, um, mm-hmm. SEO, pay-per-click websites or e-commerce stores. Awesome. So when, so obviously things have evolved and it's, it's amazing how different it's funny that you're mentioning that even just going from faxes 12 years ago, like, uh, how quickly, like we're ordering food on our phone during the pandemic. It's arriving via just a, a random Joe in his car who's delivering it, things like that. It's how quickly everything has changed. Um, what, what have you noticed in those 12 years then? Like what, what is different now from when you first entered that market? How are you approaching the market now? Um, this is not my quote, so don't attribute it to me. <laughs> but um, I think when we started in 2009, there was e-commerce. Hmm. And now there's just commerce. And if you're not on the internet, yeah, you're not participating appropriately. So uh, I think it's mainstream. And okay. uh, really the pandemic 
uh, for our business, at least for the e-commerce portion of our business and our clients that are online, and that's mostly what we're doing for them online, it's been very good for them. Uh, we saw the percentage of revenue in consumer uh, services and, and goods uh, go through the roof in a three-month period starting March. And for many of our clients, May was the best month they've ever had. Wow. Despite retail stores being closed, et cetera. So um, I think that that's really important to, to recognize is that the pandemic has brought on a rapid period of change that it would have been where it is today had it been another couple of years, but it happened in 60 days, 90 days. Uh, so it's really been um, interesting for me to witness the change at that speed. But even from 2009 to say 2019, um, that was I mean, aggressive, right? I mean, you're seeing the, the sales of stores even almost doing nothing growing by double digits a year. Um, just from the size of the pie increasing of people shopping online. So um, it's been for us hard to to not ride that wave. So are there specific industries that VividFront is focusing on, or do you guys have a, have a variety of customers? Uh, we are kind of rare. So uh, I started the company in the heat of a recession. So uh, sort of like, you know, our grandparents hoarded food, uh, because they grew up during the Great Depression, you don't know when your next ration of bread is coming. Um, I've hoarded diversity and diversification. So we are serving B2B and B2C, both services and products in both categories. And what I've had to develop and really what our, our team has developed is a way to approach understanding the prospective customer audiences of any product or service and building a strategy that reaches them, engages them, converts them and makes them loyal. And we've been able to make a process uh, and sort of keep to our process, remain skeptical enough about what we're working on to ask the questions that reveal the answers that allow us to take on a new product, a new service, a new client um, in almost any industry and succeed on our first campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not been easy to run an organization that doesn't specialize in any one client type. Um, but when things like pandemics happen, uh, I'm finally rewarded for my hoarding of, of diversification. Um, and we didn't have any, we were up in sales last year and not, not down, which is rare, I think, for, for many businesses last year. That's great. Congratulations. That is, that is something to be, to be, uh, that's very, definitely praiseworthy. What, uh, what kind of customers have you had success with then? Like, can you give us any, are you allowed to name names? Do you have some uh, case studies that you Sure, sure. Um, I can I can name some names, but I'll start with sort of a broader answer. Mm -hmm. um, our specialty when it comes to consumer is understanding consumer online behavior and okay. figuring out the publications they read, the social media profiles they follow, um, the websites they shop on. And one thing that we really specialize in is brand direct consumer e-commerce strategies. So that's selling from your own storefront or seller profile on Amazon. That's running your own e-commerce store, such as Shopify, uh, and all of the media and content that leads someone uh, to you and, and then remains loyal after that. Um, so we've worked with all sorts of uh, household brands, uh, of which I, I don't usually mention them in, in recorded settings, but um, you've probably got uh, the average American household has at least two or three brands that we sell already in their house. Okay. All right. 
Luke purposely vague. That's totally fine. I, t- I was just, that's why I asked if it's uh, sometimes people are able to say, you know, who's some of those and you don't want to necessarily come across as a cross branding or something to that effect. But um, it sounds like you guys do have a, a, a variety of customers and I, and I, you know, people can obviously go to your website and get some ideas of some of the stuff that you guys are, are getting your hands dirty with. Um, do you, do you, so, so it, uh, it sounds like, um, there are multiple verticals and industries that have kind of come under or come up in, in, in your, uh, experience. Would you say that, um, your approach, it sounds like, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It sounds like your approach is more of a, um, being able to be adaptable, uh, to those different, because it sounds like each time you ask a lot of the same questions, but based on those answers, you're going to adapt your approach based on on who those people are. Is that a correct way to? That's correct. So, for example, um, Jeff, let's let's walk through an example here for for you. Um, give me a case, an example of a of a product or service you're trying to sell. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, how about beard combs? Beard combs. Oh, <laughs> since the um, since the pandemic, I've been kind of growing my beard and trying to figure out. So that, I'm very much into that right now. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So, um, so beard combs, by the way, I, I will warn you, are very difficult um, to sell online. There are um, challenges with the price per item and the cost of picking something off a shelf, putting it in a box, and mailing it to a customer. So um, generally speaking, unless you're selling an average cart size um, over a certain amount, you're going to have a, an economy uh, of scale problem where uh, your widget must cost, say, um, $40 minimum, even sometimes break even. Uh, and I would say in general, you want a cart of at least $50, $60 um, to, to sell well. Now, Amazon is an exception. You can do pretty well um, around 10, 15 bucks on Amazon, but it's hard to be beneath that. So, uh, so let's start and say, okay, uh, we're selling a, a comb or a beard uh, grooming product. <laughs> okay. Um, and what I might suggest is with beard grooming specifically, uh, you would want to create a basket or a, a kit um, that is worth enough money to uh, to produce a large enough checkout that you can cover your acquisition cost and your shipping and handling cost to a customer. Uh-huh. Um, at a price point, you could have it the same on jeffsbeardcare.com as well as on Amazon uh, with your Jeff's Beard Care listing. Um, further... With beard care, um, you have an opportunity for consumables. So you could sell a beard, you could sell beard wax or, or mustache wax, um, <laughs> beard uh, softening agent. Um, you could sell a piece of vinyl with suction cups on it that goes on your mirror and captures your hairs as you're shaving. Um, and so you, you you make like a list of items that goes in a kit. Um, and the goal would be for us to understand, okay, you have Jeff's beard care kit, it's $39.99. Jeff, how much does it cost you to put it in a box that's ready to ship? You say, mm. oh, I don't know, $10. Okay, great. And so that means we can understand that you're making it for 10. You have to ship it and sell it and make a profit at, at some price point. And so I say, okay, let's let's talk through this. Um, what's the net margin that you need um, with fixed overhead and variable costs included? Um, so that if you have a million dollars of Jeff's beard care kit sales, um, where do you need to be on your P&L? Well, um, 
Okay, great. So that means that we have to do everything we can with that 80%. And so we're going to understand that, that math to say, okay, you can spend $10 in acquisition because you have $10 uh, in cost, $10 in acquisition, $10 in shipping, and $10 in commissions or selling costs related to, say, listing on Amazon, which takes uh, usually about a 15% of the top line. Um, so we'll build a mock pro forma to help to understand what are we selling, what are we selling it for, what are the costs involved, and how much can we spend on acquiring that sale. And by we, I mean you and me together, because our job is to sit on your side of the table, see your business and your marketplace the way that you see it, ask you some questions that might change how you look at things. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can't make money, we can't make money for you. So we get really focused on those business acumen pieces that help us to understand the market you're in, how much you need to make selling in that market, and how much we can send, spend to grow your company. Now, you have a, a good example here. If you're selling like some sort of you know, cream or something like that, um, that's a consumable. And so you might have five or 10% of people who buy Jeff's beard care kit and they use up the, you know, the, the cream for their, they're softening their beard hair and they need to buy more of it. And that recurring revenue occurs in one in 20 purchases, but that next purchase, they just go to Google or they go to Amazon or they go to your site and they just order it. There's no acquisition costs attached to the repeat mm -hmm. sale. Um, and you can contract manufacture tubs of whatever goop you want for a dollar or two. Um, so you might have, three or $4 of pure margin in that second sale. That's lifetime value. If we assume that some percentage of people that buy your beard care kit will subscribe, that's lifetime value. So, mm. um, and we, we can measure that and predict it conservatively. We can tell you, you might want to break even on the first sale and know that you'll have these repeat orders of the, of the, you know, beard wax. Wow. And it's, you know, you actually nailed it too, because it's funny. Like, I mean, I just happen to have that, that beard comb sitting there. But when I went to order the beard comb, like when I was looking for that, I did end up with the whole kit you just described, like exactly what I just bought the, I bought the whole thing and there were, there were several consumables inside. And one of them is one that I will probably buy again because it was like, it was part of that. That's, that's kind of, you just basically described my entire beard uh, purchasing experience. I just saw the other side of it. Very good. That's yeah, pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's haunting when you see uh, how much strategies at play. But yeah. Myself. Um, I know how the sausage is made, but I still get tricked into the same stuff. As else. It's, not, it's consumer behavior. And it's, right. Well, uh, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, like I said, and it, and it was, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I got tricked into it. I feel like, oh, this is, this was a great way for me to sample these things. And then I decided, yep. And then I decided at the end, well, this is only, this is the only one I feel like I really want to keep going with, but that's fantastic. Now, where would you say vivid front has, um, innovated the most in your field? Where do you, where do you feel like you guys are, are adding the most innovative value? So um, it's a tough question to answer because I think that depending on what the squeakiest wheel is each quarter, month, year, week, um, you know, the, the, the answer I would give you would differ. I think what we've seen um, in the pandemic that's been a great example of innovation is our consolidation of different types of people under one roof. So hmm. we have designers, we have developers, we have strategists, we have marketers, we have people who work on content and social media. 
and deal with digital PR, everybody is under one roof. So if we need to move fast um, and we need all these disciplines, most ad agencies or marketing agencies or design agencies are working with other partners mm. or they're sharing a vendor relate or they're sharing a client relationship with another vendor. So your ad agency has an idea for a campaign. So the IT company or web development company that the client has has to execute some piece of it for you to do that campaign. Um, for us, we don't have those, those, those uh, constraints. So we can come up with something, the client can improve it, and we can execute it from idea to completely coded website, landing page, marketing automation system, where you text something and you get something else and all of this stuff all tied together with one team. Um, so for us, the innovation has been a heavy payroll that puts everybody on one team and allows us to execute without being encumbered by anything. And um, the best example of that is we have a brand that, that many people would know um, in the in the home kitchen space, and they did not have an e-commerce store at the beginning of the pandemic. And they called all their vendors to a call and said, what do we do about all the retail stores being closed? None of our merchandise is moving. And we said, well, you should make an e-commerce store. And we built it start to finish in less than four weeks and launched it wow. in less than a month from scratch. So um, that's innovation, right? Yeah. Problem solve, come up with an idea, and execute. That's fantastic. And now you've been doing that for uh, twelve years, going on, going into your thirteenth year. You're enjoying, obviously, a great run. When uh, the show is is uh, what makes them tip. What do you think the tipping point was where you realized this is it? Was it maybe it was a customer experience or a key innovation or a point in your approach where you realize? We just, this clicked. We are, this is the next level. This is where we were trying to get. What, what do you think that was, that moment? Um, I think there's two answers, and it's probably not the purpose of your the thesis of the show to give two answers, but um, I'll give two. One, you know, I like getting my hands dirty, and I've always taken pleasure in every seat you can sit in to execute um, design, development, marketing, um, ad copy, all of it. And uh, as a business owner, there's only so much you can do. Um, and there's sort of two types of people who own and run their own business. Um, the control freaks who are involved in everything and the people that have learned how to let go. Um, and working on the business versus in the business is a constant struggle. And for us, a tipping point was hiring and creating a management team that has the empowerment and the authority and the trust um, to execute and building processes around that. Um, we did a sort of bastardized implementation of something called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is uh, created by a guy named Gino Wickman who wrote a book called Traction. Um, so in the show notes, it'd be good to link to that. And um, that's for us been a big tipping point is getting me out of the way and letting the team execute. Mm. Um, and, and so that's, I think for the business commercially, that, that was important. Um, in terms of what we do and how to sell it, the tipping point has been that we need to talk about, um, for our business development purposes with our clients, we have to talk about what we've done and how we can do it more because we offer so many things under one roof. And unless we get really specific with an example of like, here's this client we worked with 
that had your similar problem. And this is the solution that we drove and don't worry about the details, but this is how we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been helpful for us for business development because it's dilutive to, to position yourself as a master of all trades. You can't, right? Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and the reality is there's probably better people or companies at each pillar of our of our services. But what we're really good at is having them all in one place. All of those people know each other, work together every day. And it gives us an ability to move quickly and competently. That's great. Now, I'm going to, what advice would you give uh, another CEO who is maybe younger or less seasoned, who's still still trying to get to that point, right? Still trying to find their tipping point. Maybe they found some success, but they're just, I want to get over that precipice. I want to be where these guys are at. What What is one I don't know, piece of advice or key ingredient that you would give that listener who is in that, that position right now, maybe where even maybe where you were 12 years ago, what, what would you say is the key to getting to where you are now? You know, if I gave advice to 12 year ago, me, um, I won't bestow this advice on others without, without them, them wanting it. What I would tell myself though, is um, you don't know what you don't know, and making mistakes um, quickly enough and admitting when you're wrong allows them to be learning lessons, not sort of strategic missteps. And I think that where I grew a lot professionally through my journey running this company, at least in the last 12 years, is um, knowing I'm not right about everything, really, I mean, probably less than half of things, and being able to get out of the way and let people who know more than me um, figure something out. And I think it's really hard to owe your success to other people, but we would not be where we are as a company without the team that we have and how much they give a shit about our clients, their jobs, what they're working on. Um, and as soon as I got out of the way, that's when we made, you know, in 5,000 things like that is to get other people performing at their best without you in the way. Um, and, and I think that the, the sum up is, you know, you got to work on your business, not in your business. And that means putting people in the right seats, doing the right things for you that drive value for your customers and, and overseeing that, but not, but not being the person who does it all. I like that. That's great. That's really good advice. I think that's good advice for anybody, right? For in, in all aspects of business, sometimes you just got to get out of your own way and, uh, and kind of let, uh, you know, let the people that you've you've hired to do this, do the things that they do well, and you can keep doing what you do well. And that's how everybody succeeds. Before, before we close out the show, Andrew, how can folks get in touch or learn more? Do you want to share your website or? Yeah. So our website is vividfront.com, V-I-V-I-D-F-R-O-N-T. And uh, that's the best way to, to find the company. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as, as Andrew Scott. Um, and always looking for uh, interesting people to connect to. So please don't be shy. And uh, if you ever need any help personally, uh, my kind of passion is helping companies grow. So um, I look for high impact startups or, or ideas that are at the startup stage um, that need, you know, uh, a plan, a plan to reach customers, a plan to grow, a, a plan for what their product can do for a, a market. Uh, and that's something I enjoy consulting wise. That's great. Trying to pass it on, right? Trying to pass on that success. Uh, use your success and bring it to, and that's why we have 
folks like you on the show. We're hoping that the information that you share and some of the things that have been successful for you will help others. Andrew, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon. I'm certainly grateful to have heard your story. Obviously, absolutely the best of luck to you and all your future endeavors. Go Bucks! right? And uh, uh, thanks to you again for listening and for giving us your time and attention. I know and cherish how valuable that is. And I hopefully uh, you heard something today that's going to help you navigate the peaks of success and find your tipping point. Until next time, I'm Jeff Ford, and this is What Makes Them Tip. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arkalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.